Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Tuesday, September 5th edition of the Basement Academy. Our morning psalm, Psalm 95, is one that I think is familiar to many, though the back portion of the psalm is probably less familiar. The opening words were familiar through sacred song and calls to worship. The back half, not so much, and I think that's an important portion of the psalm for us to know and to and to pray as well. So Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For forty years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. We like the first half of that psalm, don't we? <laughs> Come, let us worship, let us bow down. <laughs> but today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did back there in the wilderness, in the desert. And we recall the story. That generation fell before they entered the promised land. It was the children of the adults who came out of Egypt. It was their children who entered the promised land 40 years later. Mm. I think it's important. <clears throat> this is kind of grace and truth. Grace, come, let us worship. Let us be in the presence of the Lord. He loves us. He has made us. He has formed us. Truth. Do not harden your hearts when you hear his voice. And so God calls us to live in obedience to his word. And that's, that's unavoidable in the scripture. This is all the way back to the beginning. Adam, do not eat of that tree. You are free, completely free, with one exception. There are limits to our freedom. And so as we continue the discussion of gender justice and gender ideology and gender identity, we have to live in that tension. So, love today's questions. And so, uh, first question comes with some, some narrative. I want to push back a little on your description of gender identity versus biological reality with a particular emphasis on the versus. Okay, so... Is it biologi biological reality versus gender identity? Or, as he goes on, I would argue that the better framing would be gender identity and biological reality because I think both are necessary for a Christian understanding of sexuality. 
I like to think of the biological reality as male and female and the gender distinction as man and woman. I think the extreme progressives would deny that there's any biological reality and the extreme traditional Christians would deny there's any gender identity. I think both extremes are wrong, in parenthesis fiction, to use the word I, I used. But that we as followers of Jesus are better served by seeing what we can add to our understanding of sexuality from those things that are true with the gender identity approach. I don't think there's any question that some or much of what traditional Christians would define as the characteristics of man and woman are culturally or socially determined rather than biblically or biologically. And as a social cultural construct, man and woman is almost by definition a continuum rather than a binary. Or maybe it's better to think of it as an overlapping Venn diagram of man and woman with human characteristics in the intersection. For me, the and forces us to think about truth and grace and about how best to love our neighbors and love one another. So, great, great question with, with some thoughtful reflection uh, put around it. <clears throat> and so, you know, this goes back to a couple weeks ago, talking about the biological reality, I said, versus gender identity. So, I sit in the place of taking the word gender in its older understanding as a synonym for sex as male and female, okay? So I take gender in that older binary approach, grammatical approach. It's the, the, the masculine or the feminine, you know, a case of a, of a noun. And so... And so I, I'm just openly declaring that, right? So for transparency and full disclosure, I'm taking gender in that older understanding. Now, saying that does not mean that there isn't a more modern construction or understanding of the word gender that takes it out of the, the realm of the grammarians and pulls it into more of the sociological and psychosocial understanding of what we have been uh, d describing. So, so for me, it's biological reality, male and female, versus the contemporary understanding that sees it as a spectrum from male to female and a lot in between. And so I, I, I think there's, I, I support much of the thinking that is, that is presented here in this, in this question. So, so I just land in a different place. I, I land in that older, more historic, traditional place. But that being said, there is a contemporary social meaning to gender that differs from that older traditional. So that's the and, okay? So that's biological reality and gender identity. So in the older understanding, it's biology is gender, it's male and female. In the, in the contemporary expression, it's and. And so I acknowledge that there is amongst many human beings and now taking root in our society, this notion of gender as 
a social human construction that ranges, and, and I understand, the, the, I like the Venn diagram image. What I've said in a couple occasions, I would argue, and this may push to the border of being offensive, that such a construction, the social construction of gender as more what we choose it to be, more than what we're given at birth, that that's, that's a project that, that tilts towards the Babel project, the, 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 the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel was real. Humans came together and said, let us make a tower and let us build that tower to the heavens. Let us be as God. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let, let's, let's, let's not receive our identity, our understanding of humanity, our understanding of ourselves as image bearers of God. Let us be as gods. And so I see the Babel project as an expression of that autonomy that began at the tree, at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so now it is, it's the two individuals, Adam and Eve, the, the, the father and mother of the human family, st starting the project as it were, Babel then is the community that has grown over time, their family, uh, that says, we will be as gods. And so, so the, 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 the confusion that results from that is God scattering the, the, the human family. So I would offer that, yes, there are communities that see gender as not a binary of male and female, man and woman with roles and expectations. Um, I, I would see this, the non-conforming community, the gender non-conforming community that lifts up that the gender identity is in fact a reality. It, it is a reality. So I don't, I don't, um, dispute that. What I'm suggesting is that it's not a reality that we should conform to. It, that is, or that we should change our minds about and then see that as the, the reality that we should um, perpetuate and, and educate people into. Because I, I don't think the language of a non-binary person or a pansexual person, these are various ways of saying, I want to live the way I want to live. And I don't believe that is what God calls the human family to. I acknowledge that people do say, I want to live as I want to live, but I don't believe that is what's best for the human family. And so, you know, the Babel story did not end well. It ended with a scattering and the confusion of language, interestingly. And that, that may be why I, I see this as a Babel project, because there's a confusion of language that is happening now. So marriage for the entirety of the human family until maybe, you know, five, 10 years ago, <laughs> the entirety of human history, marriage was always a male and a female. Now marriage is a more pliable plastic term that refers to male and female or two men or two women or two men with a woman or two women with a man. And, 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 and so, and so, 
there's a, a plasticity to language that is happening now that is, again, on the order of the Babel scattering and confusion. And so gender is one of those words that is now confusing rather than clarifying. And if you go back to that list of 40 or 50 or 60 gender-related terms, I mean, as we saw in the neo-pronoun uh, article, it, the, the, the possibilities are limitless. But when language becomes limitless, when, when, when we can no longer say he or she, and we now have to say they or you know, any number of these, these invented pronouns, this does not lead to deep functioning human community. It leads to the breakdown of community. That, that's, that's what I'm suggesting, uh, I believe, in that, in that thing. Now, are there cultural expectations of men and women that we should be attentive to? Absolutely. So the girl who plays with trucks and plays on the baseball team, you know, well, she's just a tomboy. Well, yeah, so we've had ways of talking about that. <clears throat> and in boardrooms and other places, you know, men can get away with bullying behavior, but women who do so are considered inappropriate. Well, you know, so I think there, yes, I agree with the questioner that, there's work to do in this regard with respect to our roles and expectations. Um, I've just, I've been, it's interesting, our neighborhood, we've lived here 20, nearly 23 years and we've seen it change. And so there's a greater uh, ethnic um, uh, participation in our, in our local neighborhood. And I see this just by folks walking the block. We've got the side of the street that has the, the sidewalk, right? And so the other side of the street doesn't. So, so a lot of folks, you know, just out walking and I notice cultural patterns, people in different cultural dress, different skin color. I'll notice sometimes the man walks ahead of the woman. That's a cultural thing. I will see sometimes the entire family holding hands as they walk together, which is sometimes tricky because, you know, you don't all fit on the sidewalks. Many times they're walking in the street. You know, when Chris and I go out for a walk, we walk side by side, not one in front of the other. When we would go walking with our children, we weren't all walking hands. And these are adults who are all holding hands or, you know, older adolescents along with the, the, the parents. Um, and so I see that as obviously some cultural expressions. Um, yes, there are. Uh, the, the, the way we think of men and women is expanding. And so men fold laundry, at least this man does. <laughs> and men do cooking and men raise the children. You know, some of those cultural roles and expectations. Women work outside the home. W women work as more than secretaries and teachers and nurses, right? You know, kind of an older uh, expectation of appropriate women's work. Um, and so, yes, th th there is a, a, a malleability to the way we live as men and women. But I would point to you to Proverbs 31, who out of her earnings, she buys a field. And so out of her earnings, she buys a field. So there were women working, the, the, the virtuous noble wife was working and she was 
earning a living and she was purchasing land. Wow. So whoever wants to say women belong in the kitchen and nowhere else, they're, they're not paying attention to scripture either. So I'm, I'm with the questioner with regard to maybe ways we as traditional Christians have embraced kind of cultural expectations and tried to baptize them and make them biblical. I don't think that's helpful. But at the end of the day, there's only men and women. That, that's the point I was trying to make. At the end of the day, God made them male and female. No matter how we choose as, as a social construction to, well, I don't want to be a man anymore. I want to be a woman. I don't want to be a woman. I want to be a man. I don't want to be either a man or woman. These are all belonging to the Babel project, the human project that ultimately leads to confusion and, and scattering and a breakdown of, of human community. It is Jesus Christ who unifies. And so uh, what I, I, I end with a reading from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that maybe helps us here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9 verse 19, though I am free, and Paul had been talking about his freedom as an apostle, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. So he submits himself. He makes himself a slave to the whole human family, though he is completely free. Interesting. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. He's in Christ. He's no longer obligated by the Mosaic law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So it's like I'm not completely autonomous. I'm obligated to Christ, but I'm not living. So he's talking about to the Gentiles who, who don't have the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means, I might save some I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. That, I believe, informs this dynamic. So, to those who believe there's a gender identity, I'm going to do the very best I can to understand the gender identity spectrum, though I believe it's a Babel project, I'm going to do my very best to understand that and I will, I will learn the language of that. So if I'm in conversation with a non-binary person, now this brings me up, well, am I going to use their pronouns, they and them? I personally am going to continue to speak the name because there's going to be no confusion around that when I speak to this individual, okay? But I believe the spirit of Paul is what should inform us in this situation. Though I believe there's only biological uh, uh, male and female and gender is male and female, I understand that there's a new world that, that's unfolding. And so uh, Paul's guidance is to become all things to all men so that by all possible means I may win some, I may save them. Because... The truest identity we want people to have is in Christ. I don't want it to be my identity as a traditional Christian. 
I'm my identity is a progressive Christian. My identity is a male. My identity is a non-binary or transgender male or whatever. No, 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 no. I want to labor so to win people to Christ so that my identity is in Christ. And then I no longer seeking to be an autonomous person living the way I want. See, that's the problem. The issue with the gender identity movement is it's autonomous from God. <laughs> it says, I will do what I want to do and you can't tell me otherwise. That's the problem is our autonomy. Now, I think traditional Christians can fall. I don't care what is going on out there. I'm going to talk about those people the way I want to talk about those people. I don't think God gives you that freedom. I don't think God gives you the freedom to speak of image bearers in, in that way. Okay, If you judge them, James tells us you're now judging yourself. So I'm probably exhausted this more than the questioner was, was asking for. But, but these are some continuing thoughts. But again, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul and the all things to all people, I think informs us. Last, let, let me try to take this on quickly. Um, one questioner says, <clears throat> uh, if we believe that it's wrong and against God to identify as a gender different from our birth, which in parentheses is a sinful action, is it not an obligation to counsel such a person as to their error if we are in an influential relationship with that person? It's a good question. It goes on, or is this just part of the line between the sane and the not sane? Hmm. I, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't know if I want to take that last little piece on exactly. Are we, uh, am I obligated if somebody were to come to me and express a desire to transition and be known and could I help them, you know, pastorally through that? Do I have an obligation to counsel that person away from such a, a notion? Or you, in a non-pastoral way, if you have a family member or a friend, thinking of the people yesterday, right, that asked the questions about these friendships, do they have an obligation to counsel that person away from being gay or non-conforming or something? It's a great question. I generally don't see myself in the interventional model of I'm going to intervene, I'm going to insert myself, and I'm going to declare what another person should be doing. Now, if somebody comes to me for advice or pastoral counsel, which they do, the, the, the parallel I, I want to draw here is somebody who comes and says, I want to get a divorce from my husband or wife. And I'll always, or and I've had folks talk about abortion. I, I, I'll say things like, I'm always on the side of the vows. I start by just letting them know. I, I try to do it in a kind of a safe gracious way. I'm on the side of the vows. You took vows till death do you part and neither of you have died. <laughs> so I'm on the side of the vows. So I let them know I'm on the side of the marriage. I want to protect and preserve the marriage. And as I listen, then I, I discern. Okay. So I don't just start with absolutely. You can't do that. You know, I, I try to listen because 
you know, Moses granted the certificate of divorce, and Jesus wrestles with this in, in, in the Gospels. I, maybe it's going back to the first Corinthians 9, all things to all people. If somebody comes to me, or if I, if somebody in my circle of friends and influence begins to transition to become gay, or, or you know, announces they're gay, or um, wishes to transition, or, you know, take a non-binary or some other um, gender non-conforming identity, my, my first move isn't going to be to counsel them away from that. This is me. I'm not saying you might have a different conscientious place. I am going to, if they ask my input on these things, I am going to say that I believe God made them male and female, so I sit where the scripture sits on that. I'll recognize that God gave us great freedom as humans. We're made in his image. And so we have a will, we have a mind, we have emotions. And, and, and I'll say, we need to be careful how we exercise our freedom within the limits of the world that God made. And, and so that, that's how, because if you, what I have found when I come right at somebody, they get defensive and their ears are shut and they're not going to listen to me. Both my children when they were growing up <laughs> and my children as adults and other human beings, other adults at Greenwich and other churches I've served. When you say something that people don't want to hear, they usually shut you down. So I try to come in on the angle rather than the direct. I think that's the parable. Jesus told parables, you know, to try to come in on the angle to slip past people's defenses. Um, as one of my favorite authors, Eugene Peterson writes, the kingdom of self is heavily defended territory. The kingdom of self is heavily defended territory. And so somebody who is adopting an identity other than their birth sex or, you know, some gender non-conforming identity they also occupy a kingdom of self. And so they're going to be very defensive if you try to counsel that person away. So what I would do, try to come in, you know, I believe God made us male and female. He's given us com uh, great capacities. We're made in his image. I want to try to draw that language in that you're an image bearer. They may not, that may be first place I counsel them. You are bearing the image of the glorious God who made you. I want them not to harden their hearts when they hear God's word, right? I want them to bow down and worship to God, but they're not doing that now. And so I will talk about freedom and limits and that, you know, we need to live responsibly with the freedom God has given us. We need to live responsibly within the limits of the world that God has created also. So that would be the place I would begin. And then it would be a very dynamic conversation even if they would let me get a second word in. Because sometimes folks, I see where you're going. I'm out. I'm not going to listen to you ever again. And so I want to, I play the long game with people. I, I will try to discern if they're open to counsel. And if they're really seeking my advice, I don't think this is a good idea. If I sense that, you know, hey, I'm not sure. What do you think? I would say, I don't think this is a good idea. In the end, I don't think you're going to be happy. Okay. Um, but but usually folks aren't asking for that. They're asking me to bless their pre-made decision. <laughs> that's that's my observation. So anyway, I don't 
I don't know if there's an obligation to counsel. If somebody asks your advice, yes, I would do so with dexterity. Draw to the image bearer, draw to freedom, draw to limits, draw to accountability, but also communicate, I'm with you for the long run, okay? That, that I'm somebody that I wanna be in a trusting conversation with somebody for the long run, because I think the long game is typically how to play. That's the prodigal, right? The dad kept waiting for the son, let him go. The dad didn't counsel his son not to go, at least we don't have record of that. He gave him half the inheritance and let him go. And he played the long game waiting for him to come back. So I wanna create the, the, the freedom for somebody, make it easy for somebody to come back, you know, to stay in relationship with me, okay? So ho hopefully that, that's an answer. A little long today, but I hope it's helpful. Let, let's pray. Father, thank you again for these thoughtful questions as we wrestle our way through uh, this moment in our uh, cultural life. Help us to do so with wisdom, grace, and humility. Praying in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May God grant you wisdom, humility, compassion, courage, tenacity, love, as you seek to love your neighbor as yourself this day. Amen.